Well, the day that we are born, we are born with, with great, great need and a desperate longing for provision, for protection, for safety. And at, the birth, at birth, the baby cries out. And a baby needs help to be able to be fed, to be able to be clothed, for shelter. And there's desperate need. And really, though, that, that need for provision and safety and protection, it doesn't stop when we are no longer a baby or even a teenager or even an adult, where we continue to be people that, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we're needy. None of us are supermen and superwomen, no matter how, how much we try to be. Uh, and we are those who continually long for rest, for peace, for life, for hope, for provision. And in the garden, of course, with Adam and Eve, um, there is perfect provision and perfect safety and perfect peace, but sin entered in and put all of that at risk. And now there's loss and need and death and brokenness and vulnerability and fear and all these things enter in. And the same is today. Those things enter into our life because sometimes because of our sin, can I, sometimes because of sin of others around us or just the brokenness of this world and we find corruption and greed and natural disasters and financial crisis and, and pandemics that come in that upset and turn things that we thought we rested in and bring doubt. And we long for and we need protection, we need safety. And we live in a volatile world though. And yet we do, we do have a good, sovereign God who rescues, who provides, who is a good shepherd. Think of one of the most famous or well-known passages in the Bible of Psalm 23. It speaks of that. And it resonates with the hearts of people throughout the generations and today because we are people in need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we know that. And if we are people who have, if we've turned from our sins and, and turned and trusted in Jesus Christ, and we are his then we've been rescued and we found refuge in him. And we're called to be those then who are agents of, of that grace and the provision that we've been given. We're, we're those who are ambassadors of hope, of life, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the salvation that we have. We're called to be ambassadors of this grace we've received. And sometimes the Lord uses us that way. And as we look at Ruth, we see this story where there's, a need, desperate need for provision and, and protection. And we see different ways where, in one way, Ruth becomes that for Naomi. And then we see this picture as we look through today that Boaz is one who steps in and he provides protection and provision for Naomi and Ruth. And if you remember, just quick review in the story of Ruth, we have... Naomi and her family, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons, that they go to Moab because they're, they're leaving. They leave Judah, Israel, the promised land, because there's famine, and they hope that Moab will provide that for them. So they go to Moab, but in Moab, Elimelech dies, the husband dies, and the two sons die. But before they die, they, they were married, but 
the two daughters-in-law, they are, are childless, they're barren, and there's no children, there's no grandchildren for Naomi. There's none to carry on the name and the heritage and the inheritance of Elimelech, and she is just desperate and destitute, and she is living a living death, and she is in a dark cloud, and they return to Judah, and she tries to get the daughters-in-law to stay, but one of them does, but Ruth goes with Naomi and clings to her and clings to Naomi and puts her, her life and her future in Naomi, but really clings, we see that she clings to the, the true God of, of Naomi, Yahweh, the Lord God. And they go back to, remember, they go back to Judah, go back to Bethlehem, and the Lord begins to provide provision. Um, there's harvest. And Ruth goes out into the fields to glean. If you remember last week that we saw, this is really a two parts, because I had one long sermon that was way too long, and today you might even say, well, this one's long enough. So, um, but it's a provision. We see the hand of God providing, both in empty and in fullness. And last week we saw how he provided through circumstances, through right people and right time and the right word of God, the law that provi- provided provision for them the right obedience and right circumstances. And today we see that provision that the Lord gives through, through people, through Boaz specifically. So we're going to walk through these things and we're going to see just how they stack up one after the other, these provisions that God provides for Ruth and for Naomi. So we'll begin in verses 8 and 9. We see God's sovereign hand working through the provision of others. Verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are in reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Remember, Ruth has gone out to the fields to glean and she finds herself in the field of Boaz, and Boaz takes notice of her and goes to talk with her, and we see all of these provisions add up. So let's, we're just going to kind of walk through these and count them as we go. The first we see is that he goes and he addresses her as my daughter. He comes with her with respect and kindness to her. Remember, Ruth, she's a foreigner. She is an outsider. She's a Moabite. She has no standing in the society other than she's clung to Naomi, and she's part of Naomi's family. But he comes and speaks to her as one, as part of his household, part of his family, part of, part of the people, and says, my daughter. And most likely, and we'll see later, that he, he's older as well um, than Ruth, and he says, my daughter. So this kindness. And then he says, don't go to another, a second thing, don't go to another field. Um, stay here. Stay in this field. So he's providing for her. And then at third, he says, stay near. Keep close to the young women and, and see where they're harvesting. So make this a daily practice. See where they're going. Be with them. So he's providing not just for that day, but continued provision for her. And fourth, see in verse 9, it says that to keep watch. Oh, that, that was the, I skipped over one. Uh, so so he, he said, yeah, to keep watch where they're going. And then also to be with the women and be near the, his women that are gathering. Because as the men would cut down the barley or the wheat, the women would then put them together and bind them up. And she was to follow with them and continue with them throughout. And then we see, fifth, that he instructs the young men that are working the fields and his laborers to, to not touch her, to not 
bother her, to not mistreat her, to not harm her. So we see that Ruth, as she goes out, there was a real risk as she went out into the fields. Again, remember, this is the time of Judges where it says in the Bible, in the time of Judges, that people did what was right in their own eyes. So they would do whatever they felt like doing. And there was real danger. And he instructed the men, don't touch her. So there's protection that he offers, that Boaz offers Ruth. He ensures her protection as she's gathering. And then sixth, we see that she can now also take part of if water. They have vessels of water they've drawn from the well, and they bring water to the field. And this wouldn't have been a normal thing that would have been open to her. She was just there to glean and pick up the leftovers. But he says, come, drink from the water. So he's going way beyond way beyond anything the law asked him to do, anything that would ever be expected to him, for him to do. And he offers all of these things to Ruth. So we see the provision of God to Ruth through Boaz. And it's not over, but we have almost like a little intermission to all this provision. As we see in verses 10 through 13, we see a right humble response to all of this grace. That's poured out upon Ruth. And we see the character of Ruth poured out here. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to them, Why? Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? She says, Why? She's overwhelmed with all that she's received. She expected to go out that day and maybe get enough grain for that day, maybe another day to provide for her and Naomi, and now provision is opened up for day after day throughout harvest. And as it will see, there's going to be so much it's going to provide throughout the year. And she's just full of humility and gratitude. And she falls on her face before Boaz just in humility and gratitude and just saying, why? Why so much favor? Why so much grace? I'm just a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. I'm one of your enemies, and you've poured out so much grace. There's no reason for you to do this. You're not obligated. Why so much grace? And then Boaz answers and explains, and he says in verse 11, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband has been told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he says, as he answers, he doesn't say, well, you're, you're just beautiful. <laughs> you have a really nice smile. No, he looks at the character of Ruth, and he sees that she has that, that Hesed love we've talked about in the Hebrew, that stubborn, loyal, steadfast love as she has loved Naomi. Uh, he's heard the whole story. The whole town, everyone in Bethlehem knows what Ruth has done for Naomi. And they are amazed. They know that she's left father and mother and homeland. and Every custom and safety and security that she had, she's left. And I can tell you from experience, it's not easy to leave your home country and live in another country. When we served in China, even just the other day, just yesterday, maybe we were talking about how whenever we would come back even for our stateside time and then go back overseas, it was just always hard. And here, remember Ruth, she didn't just go for a year or two. She said to Naomi, where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Not just that, but where you are buried, I will be buried. So even after the death 
of Naomi. She's like, I'm staying. This is my home. And she's left all these things. So Boaz has heard of all of this. And he's also heard of her faith that she's bound herself not just to Naomi, but, but embraced the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord God, and found rest and faith in him that she's put herself under the wings of God, the refuge of God, and made him her God. So she's placed her faith and the one true God. So we see here that she has left all the safety that she might have felt in her home country in Moab, left all of this safety, home, family, mother, father, and come and to be a part of this people. It's a bit like, I always have this picture of when we rest and put our full weight in our life in the hands of God and put ourselves under the refuge. I have this picture of, I guess growing up here at Colorado and things of repelling. And most of you probably at one point or time or another have been able to, to repel. And just that feeling of when you're on the edge of that cliff and you back over and you remove your feet from the safety of that rock and you let rest it fully on that rope. It's really scary in that moment, but then there's just kind of a sweetness and a beauty to it when you're able to do that, unless you're still freaked out and, and that illustration totally falls apart for you. But... Um, <laughs> But as you lean back, trust in the Lord, there's, there's a, a truth that we, we are called. Sometimes he removes everything from under our feet, and we're called to rest in him. And may, may he, we see a, a sweetness in that by his grace. So Boaz, he sees this great character in the faith of Ruth and how, he, how she has been such a blessing. And he, he prays that the Lord would bless her, that the Lord would bless her. And we'll see pretty soon that he becomes that blessing. He steps in and he is that provision that he's asking for her. And then verse 13, then, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants. So I am not one of your servants. So she says, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of you. And yet you've given me much favor, much grace. Again, why so much grace? And we see here, uh, as we think of this, Boaz's grace to Ruth it's, should point us forward to that grace that we find in Jesus Christ alone and his kindness. And we can ask, why so much grace? I think of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14 and then 16 and 17 that say, And the Word, speaking of Jesus, the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son, and the Father, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. He offers us grace upon grace, Jesus does. That if we are called to rest in him. All right, so that little bit of intermission, it's over. And now we're going to begin to continue to see the provision of God's hand. In verses 14 through 17, we see God's hand, sovereign hand, through provision of others continued. I know this point is really profound. It it's echoes that first one. I know that. It's, um, but we're just continuing on, um, on this provision. Verse 14. In the mealtime, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. And eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied 
and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his, his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also put out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she, she had brought... Um, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So we see here this provision. Again, provision continued. If you're numbering, then this is the sixth one. Boaz, he invites Ruth to eat with them. Come eat with my workers. Join in. So this is just more than just provision, but you're getting lunch. <laughs> He's not one, she's not one of the workers. She's not part of the family. And here she brings him in. She's a Moabite woman, and throughout, you'll see in Ruth, it says the Moabite. This is reminding us she is an outsider, but being brought in. And eighth, she accepts the invitation and she eats with them and she enjoys roasted grain with them. So brought in and she gets bread and she dips it in the wine and it's a meal. Lots of provision. Then ninth, we see a ninth thing that she doesn't just have a snack. It's not just a snack. It's not just a lunchable. Uh, but which they were really lunchables should be called snackables. That is not a meal, like two crackers and a piece. I've never understood that, except for if it, I own the company, I'd probably love it. But um, so anyway, so she gets this full meal and she eats. And what does she do? She's satisfied. And then she has leftovers. And after I, I read through this a couple times, the first a couple weeks ago when I first read through, something struck out to me. Maybe it does to you. They ate. She was satisfied and leftovers. Does that remind you of anything? Uh, I was thinking of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000 when we ba- studied back in Mark. I think in Mark 6, 41 through 43. And take the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus did. And he looked up into heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. Remember, they ate, they were satisfied, and there were leftovers. And remember, when we studied that in Mark um, ages ago, it seems like ages ago now, that we were reminded that Jesus is the one who satisfies. And he wasn't just talking about physical satisfaction by providing food, but physically and spiritually, he is the one who satisfies. He's the one who has authority over all things, and we're called to find our provision, our safety, our protection in Jesus. Think of John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he's calling us to something greater, provision and satisfaction that we're called to find in him. And I know we live in a world that calls us to find satisfaction in all sorts of things from our own self-worth to what we've accomplished to relationships to other pieces of identity in our life that we're called to find self-worth in, maybe in our goals or dreams and find satisfaction maybe as being a good employee or satisfaction in being a good husband or a good father and those different things. But if we try to seek our satisfaction in those or our self-worth in those things, we, we suck them dry, uh, if we try to find satisfaction in work or in our spouse, I know we have that phrase that our spouse, that 
you complete me. Well, if that's what you're looking for, that's just not going to fully ever happen or find satisfaction in the success of our kids if that's what our drive is for. These things are all going to fall short. They don't satisfy. And if we try to make them satisfy us, we drain them because they were never meant to satisfy our kids, our spouse, our job. They're never meant to be what we seek for satisfaction in this life. And we need to not do that, but look for satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. And if our identity and satisfaction are not rooted in Jesus Christ, they're really fragile. They're not going to last. So that was just kind of an aside. That was an extra little sermon inside of a sermon. So back to the, the, the text. Okay, all right, 15. In verse 15, we see a tenth thing, that they go back to work, and Ruth gets to go with them again. And Boaz instructs the workers again to leave her alone, to, to allow her to glean and gather, gather among the sheaves. Gather wherever you want. She gets to gather amongst the good stuff. And not just that, but make sure you pull out some of the good stuff and leave it behind for her. And don't rebuke her. I'm sure in that time, probably the gatherers, the workers probably didn't love the gatherers. They're probably like, come on, just find some other work. Just go back home. Stop. Ah, hey, I'm going to come back for that. I can just imagine. They said, no, just let her be. Let her be. And then an 11th thing. Ruth has plenty to gather so much that she works from morning to evening, we see. And then she beats out that wheat. She threshes it and she, she beats it out to, to break the grain from the chaff. And she collects from that a whole ephah of barley. Can you imagine a whole ephah? Uh, no, no, you can't. <laughs> I, I couldn't either. I don't know. So just to help you, it's a three-fourths of a bushel. That's helpful too, right? No, okay, okay, okay. 22 liters are about five, five plus gallons. So a lot, a lot. She was just hauling this in um, to bring it home. And, it, and the application we can see as we think about this relationship, what Boaz is doing, that God here is working and demonstrating his grace through Boaz. And we can be those who are able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be those who are demonstrate the grace that we've been given. And we talked a couple weeks back about walking with those who walk through suffering and how we sometimes are even just that tethering them to the grace of Jesus, tethering them to the gospel. And sometimes we're called to that. We're called to be the, we talk about conduits of God's grace. Sometimes we are those conduits of his grace, reminding, serving, and loving. Sometimes it might mean making a phone call. Sometimes it means maybe sending a text message or sending a letter. Sometimes it means making a meal. Sometimes it just means listening and not saying anything, but just being present. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then we see continued that Naomi, she begins to see the provision of God. She sees God's loving hand of loving kindness. She recognizes it. Verse 18 through 23. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So here we see Ruth come in with all of that she has. And I can just imagine Naomi's face just brightening up. I wish we could have a, a, 
a visual and see this played out because I can just imagine Ruth coming in. She's tired. She's hot. She's sweaty from working out in the field and dirty, and she has these bags of grain that she brings in. And I know for us, uh, when we go shopping, we, we go to the store and go into King Supers and put stuff in carts and then take the cart to our car and put it in our car, or, or we just do it online and have someone bring it and put it all into our car. And there's not a lot of labor in that. But I remember in, in Ecuador, where I lived that for a couple of years, that at market day, people would come from the country and they would have bags over both shoulders and they would fill some in the front and fill some in the back, and they, they would be loaded down. I can just rem- imagine her dropping each of those bags on the ground and just Naomi just being amazed. And then not only that, but not only grain, but she's got her to-go box, her, her doggy bag from lunch. I don't know what that looks like in the ancient Near East, but that's what it says. She, she had leftovers from lunch. She's like, I, got, I have leftovers. And just at this moment, there's a a shift and a change. I can just imagine Ruth also saying, hey, this morning we were empty and now we're full. Because remember, that's kind of a theme that we've heard. And Naomi's saying, I left empty, or I left full and I came empty. It's beginning to change and shift. And then verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. So Naomi doesn't miss what's going on. She doesn't miss it. She's been in such a cloud of despair, of loss, and of grief, and she's been having trouble seeing what God could possibly be doing. There's cynicism and doubt that's crept into her heart about what God is doing through her, and, and we're reminded that all she could see from chapter 1, verse 13, that the hand, she said, the hand of the Lord, the hand of Yahweh has got out against me. In verse 21, the Lord has testified against God, or I'm sorry, the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. That's all she can see, and she, she doesn't doubt that there is a God and that he's sovereign, but she just does not believe any longer in the goodness, the loving kindness, it appears, of God, at least not to her. But here we see that cloud begin to lift. She's beginning to see forward and see her way forward. And the Lord is beginning to show his loving kindness in, in a clear way to her. It's a, a bit like, I think it was not this week, but last week, uh, it was driving the boys to school. And uh, it was a cloudy, foggy day where maybe you remember that morning. This fog was packed in here in Loveland. And I dropped Anthony off and then took Caleb over to his school, and at one point we exited the cloud, the fog, and all of a sudden it was just this blue skies, and we're like, whoa, and Caleb was like, we were just in a cloud, and you could just see it, and that's almost, you almost feel that, that the cloud is lifting, and sometimes it takes a while in our lives for us to be able to see that cloud lift, and it reminded me of um, a devotional that had really impacted me years ago, where the Lord in the midst of a cloud, um, brought this into my life. It's from Oswald Chambers, um, from my utmost for his highest, as November 11th. Let me read that just a, a little bit of it for you. He said, why should we go through heartbreak? Through those doorways, God is opening up ways of fellowship with his son. Most of us fall and collapse at the first grip of pain, we sit down at the threshold of God's purpose and die away of self-pity. And so-called Christian sympathy will aid us to our deathbed, but God will not. 
he comes with the grip of the pierced hand of his son and says, enter into fellowship with me, arise and shine. So there's a moment I feel like the Lord is entering in to Naomi's life and arise and shine. So then she, she sees and she asks, you know, who, who's feel, you know, what is going on? She recognizes that something has happened here and we find out that she went to the, the field of, of Boaz. She says, the name of the man whose field I worked in today, it was Boaz. And Naomi's like, ah, God has a plan here. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, verse 20, may he, bl- may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said, also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Blessed he, besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have harvested all, my, all of my harvest. So, so we see that there's this great provision here. And she recognized, hey, this is one who, who can provide for us. And she sees the kindness of the Lord. And she says, May he, bless, may he be blessed. May this man be blessed. By the Lord. May he be blessed. And then he says, Whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead? And here, it seems that this is that word that hesed, that steadfast love. And, and grammatically, it could either be, she could either be speaking of the kindness of Boaz or the kindness of the Lord God. And most likely, it's both of those mixed together. That she sees both. And ultimately, though, it's from the Lord God, this kindness, this loving kindness of the Lord that's being shown to them through Boaz. So again, she sees again now, the kindness of the Lord has come upon us. And then Boaz, again, he's a close relative. He's one who can redeem. And so this is talking about during that time, there was a close family member who could be what they would call a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer in in, the the commentary by, by John MacArthur, he outlines it this way, and I think, felt it was helpful, just real concrete and short. And there's different ways that a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, could redeem and could step in for someone in their family, a close relative in need. And one of those ways, the first way is that if a family member sold themselves into slavery, maybe they, they had a debt they could not pay and they, they became a slave and worked for a certain point, well, they could step in and they could pay and redeem them out of that and pay their debt. Or a redeemer could also buy the land, the land, maybe that land that was sold because, again, they were needing the money from the land, they sell it. But then that, that close relative could come back in and buy back the land so then it becomes, again, part of the heritage of that family, the inheritance. Remember, land is so important to the people of Israel that God gave them land to each of the families. And then, Finally, someone could step in, the Redeemer could step in and take on the family name or could continue the family name and the heritage by, by marrying, um, for, for example, for, by marrying Ruth and through Ruth having a child that would carry on the name of Elimelech and of her deceased husband that then through this child they could inherit and, and claim back this land. And this is what's happening. So hope is arriving, redemption rescue provision has come upon the scene and this all of this redemption and this provision it stretches way past as we've been said we've been saying it passes 
Ruth and Naomi and even the people of Israel, but all the way to us, because we are reminded that the child of Ruth through Boaz will be Obed, the grandfather of David, who is in the line of King Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our King. So we think of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we're reminded that we have a Redeemer, a Savior through Christ, and hope is on the scene here. Let me just finally read those last two verses. And Naomi said to Ruth, Here, daughter-in-law, it is good, it is good my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we now, they now know for sure that the Lord is working in their midst. The cloud is lifting. They're seeing the provision, the protection the safety that the Lord is giving them. And we're reminded of the the kindness of our Lord God, too, that walks with us, sometimes in unseen tragedy and trials and difficulty. And we're reminded to look to Jesus. We're reminded to look to the one who suffered the greatest injustice of all on the cross, but then rose again victorious, conquering death and sin. We're reminded to look to those things. And we're called also... In this, to look diligently for the hand of God and his provision for us that is held out and stretched out for us, that he is the one who provides. And be like Ruth, that we put ourselves under the, the wing, the refuge of our God. We looked at that a little bit when we finished up First Peter a few weeks ago. First Peter 5, 6 through 7, this is humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in, in his timing, in due time, in the right time, he might lift you up casting all of your anxieties and your cares upon him. And may we do that. May we also come and rest in Jesus. Maybe this morning you recognize you have yet to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've yet to turn and trust in him and make him your refuge.